It's amazing how much energy we put into what we think other people think. Think about that. What we think other people think. Now, it's amazing how we've got the ability to think what other people think while having the mind of Messiah not necessarily trying to think what he thinks. We need to get out of other people's head and get in his head. Being concerned about what other people think. Be concerned about what he thinks. Because see, you'll operate out of what you think other people think. If you're going to operate out of what other people think, that other person should be, what does he think? And then operate accordingly. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. In the midst of the trouble caused by Simeon and Levi, Israel is concerned about the people around him in the land coming against him and his house. Father instructs Israel to go to Bethel, where Israel initially met Elohim as he was running from his brother Esau. Once again, Israel's fears were unfounded as the Bible says the terror of God was former cities and no one pursued Israel. While Israel was in Bethel, Jehovah begins to speak to Israel about his future and shared the plans he had for Israel and his posterity. Today's study title is The Terror of God. So, let's study. Today, we're talking about the terror of God or terror of Elohim. And in the last chapter, if you remember in chapter 34, Simeon and Levi deceitfully communicated with Hamar and Shechem, and they went and convinced the men of Shechem to get circumcised in order for Shechem to marry Dana or Dinah. And when the men became circumcised, you remember Simeon and Levi slaughtered them and pillaged the land. And this, of course, troubled their father Israel. And he said in Genesis chapter 34, verse 30, and Jacob said to Simeon, now understand something. I struggle when I see certain things that may not necessarily cause people to struggle because here's what I'm fully aware of, that we have an enemy and that enemy is working diligently and feverishly to deceive us to distract us, to send us down a path. Because he, he, here's the thing, and I know that, uh, that I've harped on this and I'll continue to harp on it as we go through. Because Father is going to reaffirm in this particular chapter something that he had done in a previous chapter, and that is he changed Israel's name. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel. It hit me today too, as I was meditating on this, some of you all have heard of Jeremiah uh, when he talked about where father is, is speaking to him about the days of Jacob's trouble. You ever heard, heard of that? And it's like, here's my struggle. I struggle with the fact that if Jehovah changed Jacob's name to Israel, is Jehovah still referring to him as, is, as Jacob? You follow what I'm saying? If he changed his name would he still be talking to him and calling him Jacob when he's changed his name to Israel? 
So even when I see prophecy or I see things that are written, I have to remind myself that we have an English translation of the Bible that have been translated and in some cases transliterated by men from Hebrew to Koenig Greek to Greek to Latin and to English. And either there is a translation issue or father forgot that he changed his name. You follow what I'm saying? Maybe I'm, I'm becoming like Lee in some areas as far as being anal on such subjects. <laughs> but I can't help but think if he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, and then turn around and call him Jacob. You follow what I'm saying? Is there something there that we should be aware of? Because it continues to happen. And it's not like he did it once, as we're going to see in this chapter. He does it again. And that, that just raises some flags for me. Because I do realize, and, and when I'm dealing with people who accuse the Bible of having contradictions, I don't believe Jehovah contradicts himself. I do believe that in the process of translations and having to deal with translations because we've had books. If you've never had to deal with translators, you wouldn't understand the difficulty of translating certain words from one language to another language. But we've had several books translated into eight different languages. And there are some words that doesn't translate. And in the King James and other Bibles, they show us even in the beginning, in the introduction on how to, to use this particular Bible and to understand the liberties that certain translators have taken in order to try to convey the meaning of what is being communicated from one language to the other language when there may not necessarily be a word in this language that properly defines the word in the other language, which means that words have to be added. And so when I see these things, I have to ask myself, is the enemy now involved in some way in this process, because whenever you have men involved and engaged in anything, you have the potential for manipulation by the enemy to be dealt with. And so we're going to see this as, as it goes on, because here we believe that Moses wrote the Torah. Now, the question is, is what language did Moses speak? What language did Moses write in? You see, because we know that he was fluent in Egyptian because he lived in Egypt and he was able to communicate. And as we've pointed out, as we've gone through, when Abraham came from Ur into uh, Haran and then into Canaan, did all the people speak the same language? I don't think so. Because remember, Father confounded the language and there was a multitude of languages that are being spoken, but you can read from Genesis to Revelation and never see, well, there are a few places where it says, and the word it translated means. But you see Abraham speaking to his nephew, he's speaking to some Hamorites, if you would, and then he comes into Canaan and he's speaking to some Canaanites. 
and there's no translation. And then he goes up to Egypt and speaks to the Pharaoh and there's no translations. And so these kinds of things are easily to be overlooked unless we point them out. But the thing that is really concerning is where father changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And it seems as if from time to time is calling him Jacob. And I have to ask, is that a proper translation? Is father saying this or is it being translated? Because see, here's the thing that has become very obvious as we are going through Genesis is that we're looking at a book that was preserved over a time, taken from the language from fragments, translated into the Greek language, into the Latin, and then into the English, Old English, and then the English. And there are things that we're even going to see in this particular passage where the person is speaking after the fact in the future about the past. And I'll show you this. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me distinct among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the parasites. Now, prior to this, the Bible says the children of Israel, the children of Israel, because of what happened to Dana, the children of Israel spoke to Hamar and Shechem deceitfully. And he gives the impression that all of the sons of Jacob, because Jacob or Israel's sons were in the, they were caring for the flock. And so he waited for them to come before he actually responded. And then the Bible says the children of Israel, without specifying which one of the children of Israel was saying this, which gives us the impression that all the children of Israel was deceitfully speaking to Hamar and Shechem. But we know that based on what, what Israel is saying here, what Jacob is saying, and see, notice what's going on here, even in my communication. When I say Israel, what do you hear? Now, you've been taught to hear Jacob. But most people, when you say Israel, they don't hear Jacob. They don't hear Jacob. They hear Israel. Why? Because the language, and here's where words matter, the language, the word evokes an image. And most people, if you say Israel, they think about the land. They don't think about the 12 tribes. They think about the land. Well, there was a man named Israel long before there was a land called Israel. And there were tribes of Israel long before there was a land called Israel. However, we think of, for the most part, the land when we hear the term Israel, and somehow in our mind, the scriptures has effectively through its translations separated the man from the land. And so now we're hearing based on how we've been groomed to hear, not our search for truth, but how we've been groomed to hear. And as we're coming into truth, it's affecting some of our paradigms, which is good. And so Jacob told Simeon and Levi, which now we see the culprits. All alone, it seems to have been Simeon and Levi who was doing this. The ones who spoke deceitfully because we discovered last week that Simeon and Levi was the blood brother of Dinah. Remember? 
Israel had four wives, two wives and two concubines, and he had children by each of those. And it's them who says she's my sister. Now, she was the stepsister or the half-sister or however. Well, she was a half-sister in one sense, but for, for Simeon and Levi, they had the same father and the same mother. And so now Israel is troubled. He says, you've caused me distinct. And then he makes this statement in the last part of this verse. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me and I shall be destroyed. I and my house. Now we didn't touch on this last week, but it seems as if, if you remember when Esau was coming, Jacob at the time before he became Israel separated each wife and children by their family. He put the concubines and their children up front, the first two families. He put Leah and her children, and then Rachel and Joseph. So when he says, I shall be destroyed, I and my house, who is he talking about? Hmm? And that's the way we would think. That's exactly how we would think. But maybe our thinking is we're drawing a conclusion that may not necessarily be because it's like he says, I and my house. See, if I said I and my house, I would be talking about the people who live under my roof. But I suspect the way he separated everybody, that the mothers and their children lived in the, in the tent. Because he only wanted one woman, remember? But he ended up with four. So whose tent do you think he lived in? <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Israel became very concerned and declared that the Canaanites and the Parasites would come together and slay him and his house. Israel doesn't know what to do. Simeon and Levi were more concerned about their honor, or so they said, but as we noted last week, by invoking circumcision, they invoked the name of Jehovah, who gave the covenant of circumcision and deceitfully used circumcision, therefore using the covenant of circumcision and the name of Jehovah in vain in their deceit. There's no place in there where they actually question Dinah. There's no indication whatsoever that Shechem forced himself on Dinah. And we know that when those brothers, Simeon and Levi, went into Shechem, Dinah was living in Shechem's house. <laughs> he spoke kind to her. He treated her well. He was willing to pay whatever monies they asked. He was willing to do whatsoever they wanted. And this is how the whole community ended up circumcised in the first place. She was in the house of the prince. She could have eventually become the, the queen. And again, there was no indication that he forced himself and they didn't seem to care. So as we discussed last week, Israel seemed to live in a state of fear. He seemingly prepared for the worst and expected the worst based on the discussion we had last week. And so it seems as if even when he put his wives and children in the particular order that he put them in, when he sent them over and then he wrestled with the Almighty, he was afraid of his brother Esau. 
He was told to run to begin with because of his mother. And then, of course, his father came in in agreement with his mother and sent them to Laban's house. And then when Laban came after him, the Bible says he pursued him for seven days. He was afraid. He left three days. He gave no warning. He just disappeared. (laughs) And so when I look at Jacob slash Israel, I see many of us. I see myself. I see many of us in the sense that Jehovah was with Israel, but Israel wasn't always aware that Jehovah was with them. He was with them before he left his father's house. In fact, the Bible tells us that when his mother inquired as to what was going on in the womb, that father spoke to his mother and told her what was going on in the womb. So father was with him from conception. He gave him the vision of how to multiply his flock and his herd while he was with Laban. Let me just get to the teaching. In the midst of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble, he's concerned about the people around him in the land coming against him and his house. That was his fear. Father spoke to Israel and told him to go to the place called Bethel, where he initially met Elohim as he was running from his brother Esau because of being sent away by his father Isaac and his mother Rebekah. And Elohim said unto Jacob, verse 1, Arise, go up to Bethel. Now remember, 34 closes out. He's saying, You have made me stink. The parasites and the Canaanites are going to come against us and they're going to slay me and slay my house because of what you've done. And so now, in the midst of that, father says, Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And then he gives them instructions. Make there an altar unto me that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. When Israel received these instructions from Jehovah, he instructs his household and all that were with him to put away their strange gods, clean themselves and change their garments. And so in verse two, it says, then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him. Now, who is the all that were with him? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? He said to his household and all that were with him. How many households did he have? He had four. <laughs> right? He had four wives or two concubines and two wives. And so his household would more likely be with Rachel and the all that were with him would be the others because what did he have? He had the wives and their sons. Did he have servants? I know that the wife's handmaiden became a mother of his children, both wives. Now, the way he left didn't seem like Laban gave him anybody else, right? He did send some servants. He sent some men. And all I'm trying to do is, is drill down on all that were with him. Because the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us who all these were. How many servants did he have? If he had servants, how many did he have? How old was his children at the time? Because we know this. For these individuals to go in and slay all these men, they weren't young'uns. 
So there's some time. And, and, you know, all I'm saying is that when we're reading, there are times when we need to drill down a little bit more to really get a better understanding. But here's the thing. He says, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. So it's like, okay, get ready because we're going to go to a place and we're going to go actually get yourselves together because we're about to go to God's house. This is what he's saying. What is interesting about this particular statement is it appears that Israel was aware that the people had idols in their possession. Because what did he say? Put away the strange gods that are among you. Why would he say put away the strange gods that are among you unless he knew they had strange gods among them? And why hasn't he said anything up until this point? Because now a father has met him and says, listen, I want you to come up to my house. You know the place. You know where it's at. It's where I met you the first time. And the first time he met him, he says, you know, surely this is the house of God. I'm in the house of God. Change your garments. Up until this point, he had not said anything or done anything about it, which suggests to us that he may have known or suspected that his wife had her father's idols after Laban had come and searched their possessions and had returned to his country. Because where he came from, it was an idolatrous place. So it wouldn't have been strange for them to have idols, because remember, father told Abraham to leave his father's house and come to find out that his father was an idol worshiper. And if he was an idol worshiper, then idol worship was the order of the day. Israel testified to the people and they had witnessed how father had protected them and told them to make ready to go to the house of God, which Israel had called Bethel, meaning the house of God. Verse three, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto Elohim, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So what is he doing? He's teaching. He's preaching. He's sharing with the people. Listen, we're about to go and meet this, the one that has been with me all along, the one that have protected me, the one have provided for me, the one that has fought our battles the one who revealed himself to me, now you all get to meet him. So get yourselves together. Get rid of the gods. Get rid of the idols. Wash yourself. Clean yourself up. Put on some fresh clothes. Put on clean garments. And then they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them, Israel, under the oak which was by Shechem. And that word hid indicates that he buried them, but where he put them, they didn't know where they were. Now, here's the other thing. They gave them the strange gods and all their earrings. Now, what he told them is to put away the idols. Now, I want us to see something, brothers and sisters, because there are some things here. If this is not the first time that We see these earrings in this particular case. These people came out of the idolatry. There are certain countries you go in to where if you buy jewelry, you'll find that the jewelry is fashioned in many ways, in many cases, in association to some form of idol. It's prevalent even in the United States. You'll find that there's usually some symbol of worship of some sort, whether it be 
the cross. You know, you, you got gold and silver that is fashion. Now, when I was in, you know, I got a ring on and it's got a cross in it. I've turned it upside down, but I'm not going to get rid of it. But it was, I bought it as a wedding ring many, many years ago. And there's a cross in it. I've bought jewelry because, you know, when I was in the things of God <laughs> in the church, I wanted to represent God even in the jewelry that I wore. Now imagine Hindus, Buddhists. You'll see people wearing their, wearing their idols. And remember, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they took their gold, they took their nose ring, their ankle bracelets, their earrings, and all their golds. And what they do? They made idols with them. Idolatry was part of the fashion of the day. You'll find that many of the idols were made from gold, silver, wood, bronze, the statues. You can go into some people's homes and you'll see their little Buddhas and, and their little pictures of, of Christ and, and some of the other. I've been in places where I see where people have, you know, there are those in the church who have their prayer closet, but there are those in other re religions who have their rooms that they go into, their candles their fruit on the plate that they're offering to the dead. And what father wanted to do is take their stuff and fashion the furniture. He took those things that were maybe made for idol worship and he caused them to melt it down and fashion it into um, temple furniture and told them you're not to make unto yourselves any idols, you're not to bow down to them. But here they gave their earrings, which were in their ear. Now, what did he ask for? He didn't ask them for earrings. He didn't ask them for nose rings or ankle rings. What did he ask them for? Idols. So why are they giving him earrings? <laughs> Israel here to bury the idols. Remember, Israel was afraid for his life and for his household because of what Simeon and Levi had done. And once again, his fears were unfounded. As the Bible says, the terror of God was upon the cities and no one pursued him. This is what he said. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Why would the writer want us to know that? Because that was Jacob's fear. Jacob was afraid that they were going to come upon him and do what? Slay him. But see, when father changed Jacob's name from heel holder to one who has wrestled with Elohim and prevailed or one who prevails, father can do a work in you and you can still hold on to the old mindset of who you were. When father changed his name, father was changing him. But he held on to who he was, even in the midst of the change. And for whatever reason, it didn't seem to take heart or to take root because now father's got to come and remind him or tell him again. So here he is with a name change. It's like, man, you wrestled with Elohim and prevailed. And you're afraid of the people around you. 
Look at what father has brought you through. Look, man, Laban pursued you. But what happened? I told Laban, don't you speak bad or good to him. Esau came with 400 armed men. And Jacob is separating his family into, into groups. Because if he slay one, then maybe these will get away. <laughs> but it didn't happen. And so Jacob has got this mindset where, you know, he forgot he wrestled. He forgot he prevailed. He forgot his name had been changed. And when father comes into your life, and, and here's the thing, brothers and sisters, when he come into our lives, we now take on the character, the image of the Messiah, and we now are to become. In order for us to become what he's called us to be, we got to let go of what we were. We got to let go of that old man. But, you know, we're familiar with that old man. We're familiar with all the quirks of that old man. We're familiar with the things that that old man is familiar with. We got favorite stuff, stuff we liked. I know for me, that old man loved some pork chops and some baby backs and, and some, some crab legs and, and a whole lot of other stuff that the new man was told, you can't put that stuff in your temple. The old man doesn't recognize his body as a temple. The new man, unless he comes to the realization that his body is a temple, will continue to treat his temple like it was before he knew it was a temple. The fears of the old man, the worries of the old man. Father can do a work in us and we go on as if that work hasn't been done, still holding on to the old ways and afraid that something is going to take us down. Something is going to sneak up on us. Something is going to destroy us. Something is after us. Something's going to get us. And we failed to realize he's our protector. We failed to realize he's our provider. What can the devil do even if he gets in your house? You rebuke him and tell him, go. First of all, you got no right being in here. Now get out. Right? What stop us from walking in this new man? We're holding on to the old. And you know something else? There's old people who refuse to let go of that old you. You can't become by continuing to be. It's amazing how many believers are operating in the spirit of fear. I'm going to tell you something. The devil, he really can't touch you. He can touch your stuff. Father may let him move stuff around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he may let him uh, uh, jangle some chains, make some noise, but he's not going to allow him to touch you. Why? Because you're his possession. Not only are you his possession, but he's jealous. Father don't like people messing with his stuff. You think you don't like people messing with your stuff. You don't come close to him when it comes to people messing with his stuff and he's got the authority and the power we've got it. But sometimes we may not necessarily walk in the fullness of it because we don't understand 
that we have it like that. And so the people in the cities round about, they didn't pursue him. So again, one of his fears, they're going to come in, they're going to slay him. And he says, okay, Jacob, go up, Israel, go up to Bethel. And he gets his family and he goes up. And I can imagine as he's going, because, you know, understand this, his boys have made him stink. Now here's the thing. And let me just, just go back. Well, I won't go all the way back. Remember what he said? Well, I, I need to go back. I'll read it. In verse number 30, chapter 34. And he said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land. Where did Jacob get that idea from that he stunk? Is this something he heard? Or was this his own image? His own perception? It's like we look like grasshoppers. It's amazing how much energy we put into what we think other people think. Think about that. What we think other people think. Now, it's amazing how we've got the ability to think what other people think while having the mind of Messiah not necessarily trying to think what he thinks. We need to get out of other people's head and get in his head. Being concerned about what other people think. Be concerned about what he thinks. Because, see, you'll operate out of what you think other people think. If you're going to operate out of what other people think, that other person should be, what does he think? And then operate accordingly. The Hebrew word for terror is only used once, and that's in this passage, the LXX. Some of you have heard of that term. It is, which is Roman for the number 70, which is derived from the Latin words uh, that should be septuaginte. And that word gives us the septuagint or the Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture, which translate this word terror into phobos, which means a fright, fear, or afraid. And for those of you who don't know it, the Hebrew was translated into the Greek because of, of the influence of the Greek and many of the Jewish people became Greek speaking. And so it was translated for the purpose of the Greek speaking Jewish people to be able to read the Hebrew scriptures in the Greek language because for many, they didn't know the Greek language. I mean, the Hebrew language. And for those of you who may, may struggle with that, you'll find that when a person who may have a native tongue come from one country to a new country and they become a resident in that country and everybody around them is speaking a particular language, after a generation or two, that language could actually be lost. Because we know that when the children of Israel was taken into Babylon, they all spoke Hebrew. But after a period of time being in Babylon and new generations come up, now Ezra, when he's reading the Hebrew scriptures, he's got to translate the Hebrew into the language of the people because the people have forgot the language Hebrew. They couldn't read the Hebrew scriptures. They couldn't understand the Hebrew language, so he had to translate it. And this is one of the challenges. You know, I encourage people, if, you, if you've got a language that you grew up with, teach your children. Don't let your language die. I don't care how many people say, well, you ought to be speaking English. You can speak English. You can learn English, but that doesn't mean you unlearn the, the language you know. 
Teach it to your children. Keep your language alive. Father confounded the language. When the time comes where everybody will speak one language, he'll unconfound it. But he said, take this word to every nation. That means that this word can be taken to every nation and communicated to the people in the nation by translation. Only challenge is you got to make sure that your translator is not a Satan worshiper, that they're not changing what you're saying into something else. And it happens. Romans 3.18 says, there is no fear of Elohim before their eyes. That's that word phobos. This is in the Greek portion of the New Testament. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us clean ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of Elohim. And so what father did is said, listen, don't worry, Israel. I got you. I know you're concerned about the people, but let me tell you, it wasn't the fear of Israel that he put on the people. It was the terror of God. And see, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, when you begin to walk in your identity, do you know that his terror will go before you? People will be very, very cautious of how they deal with you. People will be cautious of how they talk to you, except, except the people in your own house. Why? Because familiarity breeds contempt. You sure the Bible says he did many miracles, but when he got into his own hometown among his own people, he couldn't do many miracles. A prophet is without honor in his own country and save even in his own house. <laughs> but father put the fear of Jehovah. He put the fear of him in the heart of the people so that as his people came through, even though they deserved what would have happened to them because of what Simeon and Levi did by invoking circumcision, invoking the name of the almighty and being deceitful in the use of his covenant. But even in the midst of that, it wasn't so much them as much as it was Jacob. Why? Because Jacob was an upright person. Israel, whom he had changed his name, Israel was upright. He wasn't a deceiver as many want us to believe. He didn't deceive Esau. He didn't deceive his father. He told his mother, now understand something. Israel, Jacob would have either had to not listen to his mother and because he honored his father and he honored his mother, he says, mom, mom, daddy's going to know better than that. He's going to realize I'm not Esau and he's going to curse me. He stood up to his mom, but his mom said, whatever, if he pronounced a curse on you, let it be on me. So he didn't want to do that to his father, but that was his mother's doing. He didn't deceive Laban. Laban deceived him. There is no indication anywhere in the Bible where, where Jacob actually deceived a person. I know what the commentaries say. I got him. Esau accused him of deception. No, Esau, he didn't deceive you. He says, listen, you want some of my soup? Give me your birthright. You can have some of my soup, but give me your birthright. How is that deception? He didn't fool him. He didn't deceive him. He legitimately negotiated for the birthright. And because of that, Jehovah says, I love him. Esau, I got a problem with him. But Jacob, you see, 
Ephesians 5.21, another use for that word, phobos, fear, terror, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Elohim. See, just as the terror of Elohim was, in, was before the people, we should have the fear or the terror of Elohim. Not to be afraid of him, but to understand who he is. If you know him for real, if you know Jehovah, you fear him. You can't know him and not fear him because he big and he bad. He'll work with you or he'll work against you. And I'm going to tell you, I want him on my side. That's who I want working on my side because if he be for me, he is more than the world against me. Imagine with him on my side, the world can't touch me. Verse six. And so here it says, so Jacob came to Luz, Israel which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, and he and all the people that were with him. Although Israel had renamed the city Bethel, the land was known by the people of Canaan as Luz, or Luz, Luz, Luz. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, this word El Bethel is God of the house of God. In other words, this is his house, but he's God. But Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alon Bakut, which means the oak of weeping. And so now Rebecca's maid dies, and they're, of course, very close because she's been with her from the time she was born. While Jacob was in the place where Jehovah told him to go, Jehovah appeared unto Jacob, Israel. And Elohim appeared unto Jacob, Israel again when he came out of Padan Aram and blessed him. And Elohim said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. So here again, he reaffirms what he had already done. And it caused me to ask why, why Jehovah reaffirm Israel's name change? Cause it suggests to me, these things, Israel had not embraced his new name. Israel had not shared his testimony of his new name with others. Israel was still operating or responding to Jacob and did not correct those who called him Jacob. I remember when father called me to be an apostle. It took me, as I've said, it took me for five years to embrace that. You know, when father does something in your life, let's be honest, trying to communicate an entity that nobody can see and convince people that he exists and that he talks to you and that he's done something in your life can make you seem a little out there. There are people who believe in him don't believe he speaks. There are people who believe in him that don't believe he still operates in the earth, does miracles. They believe that since the Bible is complete, he's just waiting for the rapture. There are people who don't believe that he, he is all powerful in the sense that he intervenes in the earth. They're just waiting on some idea of prophecy to be fulfilled. To them, the next time there's any activity from the creator is going to be when Yeshua comes. It's like, wait a minute. 
Yeshua says, wait a minute, you, I'm with you always. And these are the signs that should follow those who believe. We are supposed to be manifesting the presence and the power of the Most High in our lives on a daily basis when the opportunity is given to us and he makes those opportunities known to us. We can speak to circumstances. And when we don't know how to speak in faith, be quiet. Don't say nothing. Don't say what you think. Don't say what you feel. Because your words have power. Your words have the ability to make things happen if you recognize that. If somebody calls your name over and over again, if you're not careful, you'll take on that name and the identity just like a nickname. Somebody start calling you Junebug. Next thing you know, what, what is your name, Junebug? That's what they've been calling me all my life. Well, is that your name? Well, no, but that's what people call me. How do you feel about that? I never liked that name. Well, why don't you tell people that ain't your name? Why you respond to a name you don't even like? You're stuck. And we've been groomed like that to become what people say we are. We've allowed people to speak into our lives and to shape us and to mold us and to fashion us. And now here we come into the realization of who he is and he wants to speak into our lives and to reshape us and to remold us. But we've been shaped already in iniquity. And for him to reshape us, he need us to work with him, not working against him, which means that now we got to conform into his image and no longer be conformed into the image that we were before he came. This is what is going on here. So Israel has not become, he, he's not embraced, it appears. Father reminded Israel by his name change that he had power with Elohim because that's what it means. Power with Elohim or Jehovah is with you. Jehovah prevails. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Walk in the mindset as one who has prevailed. If you believe that he's greater in you, the greater he is in you than he is in the world. Why aren't you walking like greater in you than he is in the world? When you go someplace, why you walk in that authority? What's the point in having? See, you know, you put a gun on a police. You give them a badge, you put some training, give that police, that sheriff some training and put a gun on them and, a, you know, that police will go in, that sheriff will go in places, put their lives at risk because they're, I'm the police. <laughs> I got authority. And then put some blue lights on their car. They turn them lights on. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? We've got that kind of authority, but we don't walk in it. You need to turn the blue lights on the devil. Pull him over. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. <laughs> you, you violate all kinds of rules and laws. And, and, and how dare you? You know, it's one thing for you to be over in, in uh, Junebug's house talking that crazy stuff. But how dare you come up on my property? What's wrong with you? This is an anointed property. This property has been sanctified, set apart, dedicated to the things of Jehovah. You got no right putting your stinky toes on this property. You hear what I'm saying? When you understand that authority, what are you afraid? Who are you afraid of? The only thing we're supposed to be afraid of is him. And he ain't trying to hurt us. He's trying to kill us. Actually, he's trying to get us to, to die so that he can live in us. 
And so he's saying, stop being afraid. Walk in the mindset as one who has prevailed. Live out the calling that you've been called to. Jehovah began to speak to Israel about his future and shared his plans he had for Israel and his posterity. Verse 11, and Elohim said unto him, I am Elohim. Be fruitful and multiply. It's like, man, he, now he's going to have another child, but he's not just speaking to him. See, when father speaks to us, he's not just speaking to you. He's speaking to your children. There's children in you that is going to become great. What you have to do is take on the identity that he has given you. Because he told Abraham, say, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations before he ever had a child. Right? And now he tells Jacob, you're going to have more children than you can count. But in reality, he only had two. But those children had children. And those children had children. And so he's saying to him, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall, shall be of thee. And kings shall come out of your loins. How is kings going to come out of, out of his loins? Not his loins in particular, but out of the loins of the loins of the loins that come from him. And when father deals with us, when he speaks to us, he's speaking to generations that don't even yet exist. And we got to think beyond ourselves into the generations that don't exist. And this is why a prudent man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A prudent man is not just thinking about himself and he's not just thinking about his children and he's not just thinking about his grandchildren. He's thinking about his children's children. And that's just not one generation or two generations. He's talking about the third and fourth generation. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. So what is he saying? He says, I gave that land to Abraham. And then I gave that land to Isaac. And now notice what he's saying. He's speaking in the future tense. To thee I will give. It's not he had given it to him, but he says, I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to give the land to your seed after you. Now here's the reality. Jehovah gave the land to Abraham, but Abraham did not fully possess it. Did he? No. And then he gave the land to Isaac, but Isaac did not fully possess it. Did he? No, he didn't. And then he said he was going to give the land to Israel, but we know Israel did not fully possess it. After speaking to his future, Jehovah went up from him. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, there's some things that father is speaking into our lives that the only way it's going to be accomplished is we are completely yielded to him. Just because he gives you a mandate and send you forth don't mean you can go forth without him. You're going to need the one who called you to accomplish the things that he has called you to do, which means that he is with you and you have to continually yield to him for him to work through you. And the enemy is trying to get us distracted. So we'll take our eyes off of him and put our eyes on something else. And that's where fear and worry and dread and doubt and all of the other stuff that is not supposed to be in the lives of those who have faith and confidence in him. We got to shut the voices out. We got to shut the devil out and we can't walk by, by sight. We have to walk by faith. Can't walk by sight. Some of you, I told you the story. We were living at 319 Aurora street. We bought a house and fixed that thing up. We didn't realize that that house had some activity in it before we bought the house. We didn't know the history of the house. 
really didn't care about the history of the house. We was excited that we had a house in a nice neighborhood that we got for dirt cheap. We fixed it up and pulled a lot of money out of it. But one night I woke up on the second floor. I was in, we lived upstairs and there was a man standing over our bed by two o'clock in the morning. And I, I, I don't know, I just woke up and I saw the man and said, can I help you? <laughs> and, and the man realized, I guess, that the room we lived in used to be an old girlfriend. I don't know. But man, he shot down them stairs and, and out that front door and, and down the street he went. And the thing is, is that in our sleep, we got a man in our house. We're not even aware that there's a man in our house. But the fact of it is, is that no harm came to us. Most of the harm you have experienced has been in your head. It is the fear of being harmed. It's like what a comedian used to say, you know, the snake ain't there to bite you, but the moment somebody says snake, you run. It's like somebody say fire and you run. Why are you running? You don't even know which way you're going. You get on an airplane, they say, listen, in the case of an emergency, at least you want to know where the exit at. And sometimes the closest exit is behind you. You got people get on the plane and, and, and they don't know where the exits are. And if that thing start going down, they start panicking. Now is not the time to panic. You lose your brain. You lose your mind. You, you can't think straight when you panic. You need a level head, a clear head, so you know what to do. I was telling, you know, <laughs> my wife and others, you know, sometimes when you you know, you jump out there in the water, somebody's drowning, you go out there to help them, and they fight you. They fighting. You got to knock them out. Take them to the shore and revive them. Lest they take you and them down. It's like you can't swim while you're fighting. Just relax. Calm down. We get you out of here. I don't get it sometimes. But see, if you aren't training yourself and this is the thing about police, and this is the thing about fire, and this is the thing about people who are frontline type state of emergency type dealing, is they're taught how to operate under pressure. And we got to learn how to operate under pressure. And the main thing is don't panic. Don't get fearful. Don't worry. You've been trained. And our training, brothers and sisters, come from this word. The Almighty is trying to train us so that we know what to do in time of trouble. Don't wait for the trouble to start the training. <laughs> I'm almost done. Verse 13. And Elohim went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Israel, Jacob, set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And then this is what he did. He poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil. Now, I wanted to point out a drink offering, according to Jehovah's instruction to the priest, was a measure of wine. We don't see that until we get into the instructions that Father gives to Moses. But there's a quarter of a hen, there's a half of a hen. A drink offering typically involved wine. We see that Israel, he poured out two things. One, he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. So there's two things he put on that rock, that stone. But the first thing he did is he made an altar. Now, anybody know that an altar is a place of worship? 
An altar is a place where, you know, when Abraham met the Almighty, he built an altar and he worshiped him. So even though the idea and the word worship is not even mentioned in this passage, what we see is the attributes of worship being conducted in this passage. As I said, although the word worship is not mentioned in this passage, the things Israel did by one building an altar, which is a place of worship, and then pouring wine, a drink offering, an act of worship, and oil on it were later required by Jehovah of the priests who worshiped before him. And then finally, this verse in Israel, Jacob. See, the text is still referring to him as Jacob, even though father changed his name. I can't help but think, you know, part of it is to formulate in our head because I don't know how many times I've prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I can, I can hear Father say, you know, I changed his name. Why are you still praying to the God of Jacob when I became the God of Israel, the Elohim of Israel? Why? Because I mimic the prayers that I've heard. We mimic the things we've been taught. And these things have become, you know, hard pressed in us. There's things that have become woven within the fabric of our thinking. And these are the kinds of things that keep us from renewing the mind because there's so much a part of our, our way of thinking that they become one with us. And once they become one with us now, it's like, how do we separate our mind? How do we separate ourselves from the things that we taught? And it requires more than you just coming out to church. Because a lot of folks come out to church and bring the church with them, just like Israel came out of Egypt and brought Egypt with them. And let me tell you something, it's not about the place you go. I remember back in the day when I was trying to get some help from drugs and alcohol, and I learned when I went into rehab, you know, changing your city is not going to change you. And I coined the phrase that wherever you go, you there. Wherever you go, you take you with it. Changing your city is not going to change your demons. Because the demons, the same demons that mess with you here is going to be in the city you're going to. Why? Because you're the Lord of hosts. <laughs> You got a host with you. You got a, you got a posse, a cluster, uh, uh, an assembly. <laughs> it's like, we like you. Wherever you go, we go, we go be with you. Father's trying to say, wherever you go, I'm with you. And they're saying, no, we with you too. It's like, who you going to yield to? It's like, man, I thought I left you in Grand Rapids. Well, you know, when you left Grand Rapids, I left Grand Rapids too. Wherever you go, you are there. It's not the place you need to be delivered from. It's you. You need to be delivered from you. You need to be set free from you. And the only way you're going to be delivered and, and set free is you take on the mind of Messiah. And regardless of what's going on around you, don't walk by sight. I see that. I know that's there. But it's a figment of my imagination because my faith is in him. And therefore, what he says is what I believe and I'm confessing. And whatever you are, you got no right here. Leave. Get behind me, Satan. Okay, I'll do it today, but I'll be back. It's like that Terminator. I'll be back. You thought you got rid of him. 
but he's coming back. How you doing in there? Remember me? <laughs> Hallelujah. And Jacob called the name of the place where Elohim spake with him, Bethel. So it's the second time he calls the place Bethel. It was called Luz, Luz, and the people continued to call it Luz. And so it's one thing for you to call something one thing and other people call it something else. Hallelujah. And that's the last slide. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>